Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? It's not Thursday, is it? No. Um, we had to just move the recordings this week um, just because I was busy and my guests that I wanted to record with were busy. So that's why we recorded on a Thursday. And this has been a long time coming. It's the brilliant actor Claire Rushbrook. And the timing is perfect because... As of yesterday, Friday, her new film is out. It's called Ali and Ava. It's by Clio Barnard. It stars Claire Rushbrook and Adil Akhtar. And honestly, it's not just I love because I love Claire and she's a great, great friend. It is a truly stunning, stunning film. Please go and see it, and I promise you, it will enrich your life. It will make your heart swell, and it's a little bit of what you need right now. It's it's a love story like you haven't seen before, I promise you. Um, it, I can't say enough gorgeous things about it, and I do start gushing at the beginning of this podcast. Um, now, when I recorded this, I'm hopeful that producer Griff has sprinkled his magic on it. My, I'm an idiot. I just got in from Sheffield, and I got down to record. I didn't check my levels now, when I just played back, it nearly burst my eardrums, so I'm hopeful that Griff has sorted it out. So if there's any sort of technical problems with this, it's my fault. It's nothing to do with Griff, it's nothing to do with Claire. It's me, it's me, it's me. But it is a wonderful chat, um, and she is truly fantastic all round. Um, and the extra chat that we have over on Patreon is brilliant and very, very funny. Um, so if you do support us over on Patreon, then, um, yeah, go and listen to an extra sort of uh, 10 or 15 minutes of chat with myself and the brilliant Claire Rushbrook. Let's get it on. This is the Two Shot Podcast with the fantastic Claire Rushbrook. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Ah, uh, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Clarice Brook, a long time coming. I've I've been trying to get you on this podcast and come and talk to me for many a year, and I'm pleased, so very pleased that now seems to be the right time. I'm really pleased too, Craig. I've been very shy too, but I'm very... It's so the right time. I'm very happy to see your face and hear your voice live. And it, because it's my podcast and I make the rules, I can also break the rules... And as you know, I tend not to talk... When I talk to actors, I don't tend to focus on jobs or anything mm. like that because it all can be a little bit niche. And there's so many people that listen to this podcast who 
are nothing to do with uh, the business that we're in at all, and I would never want to alienate them. Having said that, I am going to break the rule ever so slightly for a little bit, because I was going to call you on the telephone, because that's how you make <laughs> calls to people, um, and I couldn't the other night, because I was my heart was so full, and my eyes were so full of salty tears, because I'd just finished watching your film, uh, Ali and Ava. I, I always get it wrong. I don't know why I always get it wrong. Um, and I'd purposely not watched the trailer. Mm. Oh, no, I did see the trailer, but that was by accident, because I took Hardy to the pictures and it came, and I went, oh, look, there's Claire Rusbrook on the big screen. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect, because I didn't read anything about it, because I wanted everything to be a surprise. And then when... Your kind agent sent me a screener. I sat at my dining room table with these very headphones on. And every shot, every moment was just an absolute joy. Uh, And not only proud of you as my friend, but I think the biggest thing I can say to you, the biggest compliment I can tell you and express now is after the initial sort of 5, 10, 15 minutes, I forgot that I was watching you. Oh, Wow. Honestly, honestly, I really, really mean that. For b- b- both of you. I've worked with yeah. both of you and Adil in the past. Um, oh. These are good... These are good people. Yeah. These are good, kind people. And I think... I will stop talking in a minute. I think in the hands of a lesser storyteller, they would have, quite possibly, because I've seen it in the past, go down the route of working-class sort of poverty mm-hmm. porn or made it about mm. that or something. But that, that, that fell away. It, didn't, it wasn't about that. It was about these people. Oh, Craig, I'm so, it's so lovely of you to say all that. Thank you. And it means a lot that you enjoyed it. And I think, um, yeah, I'm just so thrilled with it. And I think Clio Barnard, our director, just has done a beautiful job at making a really honest, sort of real film um, about a community she knows really well. She's she's done... This is the third of her films that are sort of based in Bradford and sort of have come organically from the people and the community she knows. The characters of Ali and Ava, Ava were inspired by real people. So it's got good um, pedigree in terms of being authentic. And, yeah, she's just created this really lightly told... A story where not a lot happens other than, yeah, we get to just look in on two very ordinary people just falling in love and feeling extraordinary feelings and I couldn't be, I couldn't be more proud of it. Yeah. Was the script fully formed when you came to it? Because it has such a loose energy and I know... Having worked with with certain people who sort of work in this way, and people say, "Oh, was it improvised?" and you go, "No, it was completely scripted and very sort of tightly scripted." So, how, how fully formed was it, the script? It at was the start? tightly scripted. By the time I got it, and I came mm. on at a conventional sort of stage when it was written, and they were ready to you know start shooting it. I know a deal was involved earlier on in a more collaborative way and I think had some input into certainly his character but no the script was pretty tightly written but within that and it's sort of symptomatic of Clio's whole demeanour and approach where she was super open to it just being loosened up a little not massively but she just wanted Mm. to 
courage and help us to feel safe to just really inhabit, you know, those characters and those feelings and to be open to what each other were giving. So if there was something funny that, you know, Adil did unexpectedly, then, you know, I knew that she'd, she'd just relish any laughter or any little impro, you know, between us. But it was, it definitely was all sort of, uh, you know, we, we didn't go off-piste. No, it was, it was very sort of, yeah, script-based. And I'm not going to carry on and embarrass you anymore because I know it's really hard <laughs> talking about these things, especially when people give you compliments. But And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody because I really want people to go and see it because it's fucking brilliant. And I want, I'm going to go and see it on the big screen again because it's just beautiful. But that there was one shot, which is the very end shot of the film, that completely just sucker punched me because it's like a painting. It's so beautiful and it's slightly distorted. Yeah. And it's focus, and it's, um, yeah, it absolutely choked oh, me. It's I know, I know the shot you mean. I mean, the scenes, the, <laughs> the film's full of, you know, beautiful, beautiful shots and beautiful lighting, and, you know, she really, you know, with uh, Ulla Birkland, our, our, you know, cinematographer, they really celebrated, every, you know, Bradford in all of its, you know, ordinariness but found you know beautiful takes on it and found beautiful parts of Bradford mm. too but yeah it I mean of course you know you know when you're acting it you're not aware of half of the sort of beauty of the work that everyone else is doing but uh, no. to see that shot and to see you know so many other shots in the film um it's yeah it's, I just feel really chuffed I'm really I'm really proud of it well, you really oh, fucking okay. should be, do you know what I mean? Because so many times in this business, we, you know, with the best will in the world, you put your heart and soul into something and everybody's working in the right direction, everybody's pushing and pulling, and it, the end product, it gets messed yeah. up it's somewhere down the line and you just go, it's a complete waste. What a, what a waste of everybody's effort. I know. Um, but, but this is the complete reverse. I mean, I'm sure it was made for a very... I'm sure the budget was quite yeah, small. Yeah, it's pretty small, it, yeah, and we had, like, a six-week shoot. But you just can't... Mm. You can't tell, can you? I mean, you, we've done stuff where you just think, this is going to be fucking really amazing. <laughs> it's just pony. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolute yeah. poppins. And then... You just, you just, you just you never know, you know don't, do you? But, you know, and this... I've said it. I've said it somewhere else, and I do feel like you know wanker for saying it. But this experience of filming it was so, you know, profoundly sort of joyous and and rewarding that I certainly forgot while we were making it that there'd be a film at the end of it. And even now, seeing the film and being so proud of it, and and so hoping that people go and see it. But even the film is sort of secondary to me. Like the the you know how how beautiful it was making it was was what i'll carry with me rather than even the end product yeah of course because it's those memories those six weeks of memories that last longer than the 90 minute running time or whatever it is but thank you craig Um, thank you so much no 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 again i will stop talking about the film in a minute but when they were discussing it on radio four a couple of nights ago um and I, I sadly I agreed with them, and I don't like it when people say this because I think it's quite a lazy sort of journalistic trope. But they said, and I'll I'll reiterate, I did agree with them that Bradford B 
became another character in the film. And you've people have heard that before, but they really have. And you said it yourself. There, they chose some really quite beautiful places of Bradford to film. Very realistic places, and the, and and all those kids as well oh, were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. She she. I mean, they. It was a real. You know, it was there was a lot of street casting. There was a lot of connections. For example. Ali's character is based on on a, a real guy called Moe Hassan, who's uh, quite a big, uh, you know, well-known character in Bradford. He used to be a DJ. He's a landlord of many properties, and Ali is based on him. Um, but some of his tenants in real life play the tenants in the film who Ali visits very early on. Oh, yeah, really? And and, you know, of course, they're brilliant, as only brilliant yeah. street cast people can be they're far more real and natural than you know you could ever hope to be and then more than that I think that although Clio and uh, Tracy O'Reardon our producer weren't aware at the time when they cast her but the little girl that my character Ava spends a lot of time with she's her charge at, at school where Ava's a teaching assistant I think she was is the niece of one of those tenants um, so they all kind of you know know each other and uh, she was just tiny, like five or five or six, but yeah, br- mm. brilliant and beautiful, and just such a it was such a laugh. You know, I loved doing that stuff. Claire, with her. Claire who was Ava based on? Yeah, can yeah, you can. Yeah, it was a, a woman again, a local Bradford woman who Clio had met while she was filming The Selfish Giant, which was the film before uh, Dark River, that was uh, uh, based in Bradford. And she made a massive impression on Clio. They got to know each other very well. Uh, and I, I met her. She's a very charismatic, uh, strong uh, woman. Uh, it's important to say that neither of the characters, the, not, not the story that we see in the film, isn't, you know, they hadn't met and fallen in love. There's a lot, they were just an inspiration rather than being you know, their story being mirrored. But she was a real strong, like, you know, Yorkshire woman and she was so up for it and welcoming and I just went and hung out with her and, you know, just hung out and kind of just absorbed her. Yeah, she's called Rio and she's, uh, yeah, she's cool. Yeah. And also I just love that we had a screening up there uh, and, and it was like a very warm reception. But uh, I saw her after, she was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> True, like, yeah. I mean, I like, you know, I love that. I'm, I'm married to Yorkshireman, so I really, I recognise that sort of quiet, you know, that that quiet um, affirmation. But it was, it was down to earth and quiet, and, and all the more meaningful for it. Right, brilliant. Ali and Ava out now at the cinema. Go and see it. Claire Rushbrook, you're fucking brilliant. Let's move on to more interesting stuff, which is all about you. Tell me about Hitchin. Hitchin. Well, Hitchin's down the road. Hitchin's not the town I live in. I live next door in a town called Letchworth Garden City. It's uh, Mm. it's, uh, not quite as uh, uh, cool as Hitchin, if Hitchin's cool, but it's where uh, it's the biggest town near to where I grew up, which is a village called Stockfold down the road. So... um, it's all right, you know. I went. I was in London for twenty years. Went to drama school and stayed there, and then uh, started to have kids and started to need <laughs> childcare. <laughs> My garden. So it moved Slowly back. Move yeah. out. Let's go back there. Tell me about growing up, Clara Spoke. Was it you just? You yeah, no, I've got home? a brother who's yeah. a, a year older than me. Um, mm. It was a happy upbringing, Craig. Really, like my parents. Yeah. Um, were both teachers. Uh, my dad's passed away now. My mum's retired. 
But it was, um, so it was the teacher's sort of, you know, schedule of, they, they were home quite, quite early, you know, of a night. So we'd have our tea at five, 5.30, a teacher's tea and uh, long holidays. But, you know, of course, they worked super hard as teachers do. Mm. Um, but it was, yeah, it was happy. It was quite, um, you know, they, they were both artistic. And my dad went to goldsmiths and, and studied art and then... Uh, tour art and ceramics uh, in the end in in the village I grew up in, a local uh, school. And my mum went to drama school, went to Guild Hall. Yeah, Did yeah, she? she trained to be an actress, but then super quickly uh, had my brother and, and then also went into teachings. She taught drama and English and later media studies at secondary school. So they were... It was an art, you know. It was an artistically sympathetic background, but um, right. you know, very ordinary, really. Yeah. When did you When did you first start to realise that acting could be a profession? Well, my mum, my mum was wanna... was a big <laughs> big deal, really, at the local amateur dramatics yeah. uh, theatre. Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's good. It's a good place. It's called the Queen Mother Theatre in Hitchin. Still going, very strong, and she she's a good actress and. Um, and so watching her, I think, really, in some productions where she... It's just uh, surprising and um, alluring to see your mum be someone else and to see people sit up and take notice of that. It was... Uh, and inspiring, Yeah, yeah, it well. was really... Yeah. You know, I found it very curious uh, that she could do that. And then... She very sort of generously, because it was her kind of club, you know, it was her social life as well, really. But when me and my brother were 12 and 13, she said, oh, look, you know, there's a youth theatre starting up, um, run by an inspiring man called R Rory Reynolds, who's still, I've got a wee car, I can't say his name, Rory, Re <laughs> Rory Reynolds. <laughs> but he's still... Did they not sort that out at drama no, school? No, mate, Clarice, it's an ongoing nightmare, ours. no. I still have to try and, and yeah... So he's still running a uh, youth theatre there and she mm. said, yeah, go down there and I just fell in love with it. But, you know, I was lucky. It's an environment where there was a college in Hitchin where, um, you know, actors, you know, we, we know now trained and there were a lot of students around that theatre. So I could see around me the possibility of going to drama school and things and then um, a couple of really inspirational people uh, said, go for it, we'll help you. And... Uh, and also my mum, we, we used to have, like, touring companies would come to the theatre, like um, there's a company called Trestle and one called um, Trickster in the 80s. They were excellent theatre companies and they'd come and use, like, we'd, we'd put the actor up, you know, for the duration, for a week. Oh, right. So you'd have an actor at the, you know, the breakfast table, like, to chat to and that, you know, you just, all actors are cool, aren't they? So it was all, it was all firing my imagination, yeah. Went to drama school very young. I just turned eighteen, and and that was that was it. Did you? That, well, that was more or less the same yeah, age when I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. The week after I turned eighteen, yeah, end of August, my birthday. So, um, but you know, it was it was not a shocking transition from you know deepest Hertfordshire to the mean streets of Sidcup, Kent. It was quite manageable. <laughs> 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 I thought the drama school. It was George Bruford. We, you know, I thought it was in London, but it was just it's in Sidcup. It's a good school. <laughs> Did they ever say to you, or did anybody say to you, because someone said this to me, actually, 
said uh, Claire, they didn't say Claire, they said Craig, but did they say to you, Claire, <laughs> maybe you should wait and get a bit more life experience. Maybe you should wait till you're, like, early 20s, possibly. Uh, no, I don't, you, I don't think... Not that you'd have, li- not, not you'd have listened no, to them anyway. No, I wouldn't have listened just, At that age, you just go, I just want to get there and I just want to start Yeah, learning. I mean, I definitely fa- can see why. I think in the early years of sort of... Um, you know, acting, there were things that, you know, I, I couldn't sort of pull on. But, no, I was just dead keen. And, and also you just, um, you know, you think you're up and running, don't you? You know, that, that youth theatre, you know, I played Medea at 15 or something ridiculous. I remember doing a, <laughs> no, you know, doing a paper round and going over the, you know, the words to Medea in, in my head. And it's ridiculous, but there's no way I would have sort of, I, I would have delayed it a year, you know. No, you just don't listen no. to you. And no, and nor should you. I mean, I don't have any sort of regrets. Because I remember, I was saying this to, I think, John Sim a few weeks ago. I remember there was a lad uh, in our year or the year mm. above, and he was like 22, <laughs> and I thought, oh, he's really yeah. old. I mean, there were older people in our year, but they were, they were shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it's, it's not a guarantee, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing to guarantee when you go into this business, is there? As I'm sure you've found out over the no, years. it's just imagination. I just think if you can really apply your imagination, then you can be, like, 18 and imagining stuff. But, I mean, it's true. Like, I remember quite one of my early TV jobs, my, my character had to be very, very angry, like, incandescent. And, you know, and I just never don't think I ever had been because it was quite a temperate household. You know, my parents were teachers. It wasn't strict, but there was a sort of an innate expectation that you'd, you know, have respect and not, not you know, to behave yourself, basically. And even, you know, within the, the, the town, you you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, the message was we're, we're sort of known in this town, so you can't be seen to be fucking about on the streets, you know, because that will reflect on us. So, um, I mean, I did, but, you know, in places where no one could see, but... Um, <laughs> Basically, I did, but I just didn't yeah, get exactly. caught. But that yeah. <laughs> sense of, like, being asked on set to really lose your shit and actually thinking, oh, God, I don't think I ever have, and consequently feeling very, you know, awkward and feeling self-conscious and feeling vulnerable, but, you know, you, you have a go at it and and now of course I've got no problem losing my shit <laughs> I do it most mornings in the school run <laughs> but I just pretended you know. look we've all done homeschool and we can lose our oh, shit within 90 minutes mate, like that yeah. now it's pretty yeah. easy yeah Claire was there an aim for you at drama school did you think oh it's stage work, theatre's where I want to be, or I want to be in front of a camera. No, you you know, you've spoken to enough actors, you know, at our age, camera work just didn't figure at all at our school. I think we had a week. I had a really sort of sobering um, preparation, you know, for the career, because at drama school I just had, like, pretty shit casting up until, luckily, the final year. But, you know, I, I played a lot of peasants, a lot of old women... A lot of maids, and then, like, luckily for the final show, I got, you know, e- excellent parts. But, um, you know, to the point where my friends, who, who's Francis Lee, who directed God's Own Country, is a brilliant, mm. brilliant guy. But him and my other mate, Michelle Austin, and another woman called Sarah White, 
they knew that I like the final showcase was Electra, I think. Oh no, or something else. It was a big a big deal. And they put the cast list up on the top corridor and you go and see what part you're playing. And they'd they'd made their own one, like their own version. And it put me at the bottom, it was like peasant number two. And I was just like <laughs> distraught for about half an hour and then saw that they were absolutely, you know, pissing themselves. But the, and I got you know, I got cast as the lead actually, fortuitously. But my point is that at drama school there was no sense of um you know real hope or ambition that that you know i could the world would be my oyster and that you know i'd get exciting gigs so it just was literally my plan to try and just work and and i suppose theater was was the assumption because that's what you know you train in and that's what happened and and i just you know i absolutely loved it and I think in some way that's uh, that approach of of being drummed into you at drama school is quite is very realistic mm. but but also at that time when you're so young and you're s- still you know neck deep in your training that's tough that's really tough to contend with and deal with, especially if you're given made number two and it's mm. just carrying on was there any any other time when you just thought you know what no I'm not. I'm not doing no, this. I, I, did, I didn't have the confidence for that. You know, this stuff goes. It goes. You know, there's people in authority making decisions, and I still feel it now. Actually, in the business, you know, you you get what you're given, and you absorb all too readily. I think you're. You, you know, it's so easy for your worth to be just on how you're considered. So I had confidence. I was lucky that you know I had an upbringing where I I felt inner confidence and you know staff and my my you know I had good friends there so I knew I wasn't someone who was struggling in terms of talent but you know my my expectation like I said was always very level-headed but it does translate I, I find into you know being a professional actor and I've been thinking about it a lot with uh, Ali and Ava actually which is um, among many things uh, you know a love story and um, and I think it's fair to say that, well, I know neither Adil or I have been cast, you know, to play a love story before. Um, You know, even though we're we're both established actors who have proved ourselves to be versatile. But, you know, the the message, you know, I've I've had since, you know, leaving drama school in 92 is that you're not part of that currency for for whatever reason. You're not eligible to represent... um, you know, being, you know, lovable or attractive. And, and that's certainly not to play the violin because as a consequence, you know, and I personally feel so often the more exciting roles are not the the juve lead, if you like, but those sort of Absolutely. you know, darker, more complex characters on the sidelines. And I, and I play them all day long with great relish. Um, but what caught me out in playing sort of Ali and Ava was how pervasive that, that those attitudes are and what it translates at is is vulnerability and um can I carry it off will people want to watch it um is it going to be believable that you know someone would fall in love with someone like her and I hate myself for it because that's the joy of the story um and Mm. you know you want to bang that drum and 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 it's god it's so right that stories like that are being told by people like them but um, 
it's like drama school, you know, you, you play peasants and old women and uh, <laughs> you know, suddenly you find yourself <laughs> playing, playing the lead as a, you know, a lover and, and, and oh, and thank goodness I had the chance to. I've just relished it because I don't think I will again. So it's beautiful. But you already said that you never thought that you would and you certainly haven't in the past. Mm. Yeah. But it is, ref- it is refreshing just to see that yeah. on screen and to see that real love and that real connection. Yeah. And I think that all comes about trust as well, because you've got to be able to trust your director. And she seems like somebody who you would put 100% and all your faith into. And I think it, it, that just translates with her work yeah. from her past films as well. Yeah, definitely. You know? And also, you know, the other actors, like, um, you know, just go back to that film, but, you know, from from all of your work, you know, you need to trust the actors you're working with. If there's a someone being a dickhead or not, you know, not in the in the room, you know, psychologically, it's it's painful and, and just, you know, and destructive. So, you know, a deal definitely supplied so such a depth of sort of trust, you know, and the other actors too who were local, like Sean Thomas, who plays my son in it so beautifully, and there's an actress called, well, you know Natalie mm. Gavin. Uh, you know, she yeah, plays yeah, another yeah. important character and... No, they were local. They were so supportive, you know, with my accent and, you know, encouraging me to feel confident and, you know, authentic. So I think, yeah, in trusting in your director is massive, but I'd say even actually more so the people you're in it with because it's scary, right, being in front of a camera? Yeah, I think it's really scary. And I think if it if it isn't ever so slightly scary then maybe you should just go and pack it in and do something else. Totally. Do you think? Oh, I, I do. do. You can see it. You can I see ask, it. I mean, see when you watch that. stuff, there's people who clearly are, like, just phoning it in and it's uh, oh, yeah. scripts that well, have been we'll phoned in and it's just depressing. Well, I'm sure we've worked opposite people who are just completely phoning it in. You just go, What's go- is no one seeing <laughs> this? What's going on here? How's he getting away with that? <laughs> Or he, or he. <laughs> could, could be, could be male, could be female. I'm not saying it's. A, I'm not saying it's a person I've worked with. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, Clarice Brooke, how are you with auditions? I feel. Or no, what, I feel all right about auditions. Yeah. Yeah. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I think if it's something that I really passionately care about, I would get nervous. But more and more. So I'm conflicted about self-tapes because I love the convenience of it and I love the uh, the immediacy of just doing it. But I'm lazy. I am I am a lazy like actor in terms of getting lines learned and giving things thought. And perhaps that's being unkind to myself because actually I think it's more that it's really important to me to try and be instinctive and to try and not plan and preempt, but to just be, you know, giving a an immediate rendition to try and be relaxed, natural. That's all the sort of holy grail for me. And I know, you know, all, mm. all actors. So um, self-tapes, I could be very lackstatical and, and just do it, you know, I'll do a couple of takes and, and bung them off, like, with, with, with minimal sort of time. But uh, in the room... Yeah, I don't. It's not. It's not nice, is it? Because you know, ultimately, the power, well, it, it power kind is of, them. It kind of personally, and again, this is just personal perspective. It kind of is, and it isn't because I miss going in to have a chat with the director or the producer yeah. because half of taking a job is whether there's 
complicity there between you because it's like for the majority of a, a filming day, you're not going to be the cameras aren't going to be rolling. You're going to be discussing problems or the scene. So you need to make sure you've got a good relationship with them. I always say to younger actors, remember, it's about you. You, It's about you and, and this director because you're going to be working in such close proximity. The acting, hopefully, will just take care yeah. of itself between you all. But you need to have those discussions and that trust first. So I suppose what I'm saying is I miss that in yeah. the room because don't, I don't have that on a, on a self No, I think I think... I think it's important to sort of acknowledge that, you know, the times where I've had choice that would that would depend on how, on the two-way part of what you're saying, like whether I get on with the director, really few and far between. Like, I love, I love, I do love being in the room to get a sense of like the person, but you know, it's, I don't think I've ever turned something down because I've thought they're a dick. Well. No, I thought they were a dick, but, you know, I've got to do the job to, to pay, pay the mortgage or there's something in the character that, you know, is really appealing. So I know what you're saying. I think, I think it is important, so important to remember that you have, you know, status and, and you know, it's a two-way thing. But the bottom line is so often, like, you just have to do the job, and you know, to make, make your money and then it's about just having a resort you know an independent resource within yourself that can power through despite thinking the director's a knob or you know um it doesn't mean we should just sit yeah. and take take everything that that comes to us i'm certainly not saying that but i think i think it's easy to forget that you know you, you don't get a no. choice so often I know, but that's kind of what I'm talking about as well, because we have such, <clears throat> excuse me, such lack of control mm. in what we do. I think sometimes it is, if you're in any way, at any stage, it's quite important to say no. If, if going back to what you're talking about, instinct, if your gut's going, the alarm bells oh, are no ringing question. here, for whatever, yeah. for whatever yeah. reason. No question about step that. Step back. Yeah, but if there's a creative jarring of personality... Um, I, I, I would, yeah, but if I needed to do the job, I'd still do it. But you know, with experience, you learn how to give yourself like what perhaps you're you're lacking from, you know, the director. It's just the subtle things that actually can make or break, you know, a take. Um, mm. That you know, you learn to sort of dig deep within yourself to find stuff like keeping yourself in the moment by, you know, I use a lot of. Um, I rely a lot on the set, the the art department, you know, the props, the 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 walls, the, you know, I'll have a look above the character's bed to see what the ceiling's like, so um, I can, you know, I know what she daydreams at or what shape she might think it reminds her of, or I'll, I'll pay attention to the view from the window, or, um, you know, if they've created a tidy set, I'll I'll make up a reason why. You know, how come this house is so tidy? What does that say about her? Blah, blah. So that there's stuff to feed your imagination and your sense of security and self, even if you've got a director who's actually saying, can you just be a bit funnier in this tape, please, Claire? Or, you know, I'd like to <laughs> have some real tears now. Well, that's not no help to anyone. But if you look at um, the cracked china ornament that someone's just put there but you can remember that actually your son threw that at you in the middle of an argument and left the house and didn't come back for two weeks then well there you go there's a little trigger that you can use yourself there you go craig yeah that's that's 
that's that's as beautiful as it is helpful. Good. <laughs> you live and learn. <laughs> well, that again, the whenever sometimes it's been tough in the past, and I'm speaking from a personal perspective. Yeah, you do live and learn. You're constantly living. You're constantly learning and growing and gaining more knowledge in the business. That's why, from if you have to go and do a shitty job that you didn't really enjoy for whatever reason, for whatever reason, wherever you are, then the, there's an Ali and Ava that comes along and just will just change your perspective yeah. on yeah. everything. Quite possibly. Yeah, I never. You know, you you never dream. It will, and certainly didn't have the expectation. And, I, and like I said, I don't for a minute imagine things are going to change. But luckily, I felt, you know, I felt by and large happy with, you know, where where I've been at, you know, in in, in the context as well of real life, you know. And that's so important, you know. Got um, to not to make any judgment on anyone and the choices they make, but it's been important to me to, you know, while the kids have been young and they're less so now, to not. Um, you know, go off to America, to, you know, where, which I've not been asked to do anything amazing, just to play, but that would have been several months that um, I personally, you know, between us could, couldn't make work. So, yeah, so it's just about self-preservation, isn't it, and finding ways to just keep yourself feeling confident and comfortable and strong in a profession where all around you, although the 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 premise, like what's written on paper, is that you are supported, looked after, cherished, and nurtured. It's so often far from it, and um, you can't even rely on other people to to give you that stuff. It's about building up a sort of, uh, you know, an armory of st- stuff that works and inspires yourself. Does it? Does it? Do you work hard on being resilient, Claire? Yeah, I I do. It's it's an on it's it's ongoing exercise but I think one of the unfair advantages you know you have and and uh, it is unfair on on you know younger people starting out or anyone starting out is that you know you have a cumulative amount of pats on the back when you work and um a cumulative amount of feeling and like that you've done a you know a job well done so you know you I bank all that um for those those moments and you know and of course they still come now I did something the other week um just a, you know it's a small part in a in a different film and um really had to call on that because of something and nothing that just sort of knocks your confidence on the day so I think the hardest thing is is finding that when when you're young but perhaps you have you know if you're lucky if you've chosen to have training maybe that's in your head and in your ears um or just youthful you know gung-ho bravery and enthusiasm but it's just grit grit your teeth get through it you know and if you're lucky it gets easier i think because you get more good shit in the bank (laughs) and and you possibly get stronger as a person yeah yeah i hope i think i think with age you you do you know naturally get more resilient and also you know if work falls into the context that it is which is you know it's just work isn't it and also, you form relationships with people over the years, and people know who you are a bit more. So you kind of hold on to that when times are quiet or times yeah. are tough, or you're feeling particularly brittle. Yeah, 
but it's brutal. Like it's brutal, and I and I feel at the risk of sounding, you know, smug and sort of virtue signalling. You you feel for the brilliant, brilliant actors that we both know, where it just hasn't happened, young, young or old. You yeah. Know? And I, someone said the other day, like in an interview, and she she's an you know an actress sort of my age, it, you know get. And I'm sh- I think it was tongue in cheek, but she sort of said it gets easier because there's less competition. But I think that's bollocks. Like there is so much uh, vividly talented, passionate competition out there, and like yeah, that's that's what I admire. Like the people who are who are s- still going, and it's not to judge mm. anyone who's gone. I'm out. No, no, you know no. that. It's just a. Uh, People can't imagine it who aren't, uh, you know, in the business. And I, know, and I know people in other works of life have huge pressures, and we that goes without saying. But yeah, but we can't speak for any any other industries right now. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking about ours yeah. and talking about personal yeah. things. So and how we deal with things. Do you when the, the children came along when they were young? Did you obviously? your choice of jobs changed from your perspective because you go, right, I'm a parent, there's no way I'm going to mm. America, mm. for instance, say, and doing that. But did you feel that everything, anything changed for you in your career when you were so young? I think, I think re- realistically, actually, the sort of nature of the work I was doing on, you know, fil- film and less so film, actually, by the time I had, had kids in my late 30s, but certainly TV, you know, I was never anyway doing great big lead roles that required lots of time away. That was quite an isolated mm. example of the theatre job in America. So, you know, that's what I generally do is like, lo- you know, really lovely supporting roles that require a few days here and there. So that didn't change massively having kids. But what, what did change was theatre, which, you know, was my first love. And I just don't know how people who don't have nannies, how do you, how, how are you with young kids all day? And then at seven o'clock, instead of reaching for like a bottle of wine, it's like, this is your beginner's call. How do they do yeah, it? I, I don't have, know. I have no idea. And I, was, I actually was talking to somebody last night who turned down a 16-week run in London because she's got two girls, yeah. and it would be Sunday. Yeah, and her her part her partner was busy working till September. Yeah, that's it. So then she would then she would have to get childcare. Uh, then on a Sunday when she did have the downtime, she'd be completely rinsed yeah. and not the greatest person to be around anyway. Yeah. So not only would she lose out financially, like emotionally, it would be a real strain yeah. on everybody. So she just went. You know what? It's no, just not an option. I, I, it, it, it's not. It, it's not. I can try and move the chess pieces any which way around the board. It's just not yeah. going to work. And at it, all. you know, if you're lucky, if you can afford a nanny, or if you've got a partner who's at home, then you know, brilliant, go for it. But it just wasn't an option. But it was. It's hard. You know, you feel. You know, you, I hold my hands up. You feel. Um, you know, uh, envious because theatre is like fucking brilliant and. Yeah. People get the opportunity to really, you know, show what they can do, and to really, and and, uh, and also it just is so brilliant to do. It's so thrilling and uh, dangerous. But also, but also, people are people are 
sometimes trusted more with different roles in yeah, theatres. Yeah, that they would that they they wouldn't get a chance to shine on, on telly because they're oh well they're very well known for playing that on the telly so that's kind of what they do. But on stage, a trusted theatre director go no because I know you've yeah, got this yeah. in you, and this will yeah. give you a chance. It's hard, you know, when you want to do something. Well, that's just what mm. being an actor is. You want to do it, and you just have to see other people doing it, <laughs> doing it brilliantly. Of course, uh, it's that's, an, that's a whole other sort of exercise in resilience. And also, people forget. Like you know, I did quite a lot of theatre, good theatre early on, like in the West End. I did you know Feston at the Almeida that transferred, or you know, really yeah. good stuff. And then you know, you perhaps to say no to a couple of things, and then people stop asking, and um, it's. You, and all the while, you know, it was your thing. It was your fire, you know. But smooth segue, Craig. That's why it's very nice to have been asked to do this play. Which are, well, I was yeah. going to say, how do you feel? But that's where I was going. I I'm, I, I've got this. I've got this fucking structured Rushbrook. <laughs> Don't think it's just a ramble chart. This. <laughs> how, how do you feel now about about going back and not? Not just about going back, because you're not going back into a company. It's a two-hander. Yeah. I mean, you haven't really gone, oh, I'll just, I'll go back gently in a nice supporting role. It's just you and Dan Ryan yeah. talking. <laughs> I know, it is a bit hard. <laughs> yeah, but I'm ready for it, and I really want it. And uh, yeah. it's the playwright, David Eldridge, who I've been lucky enough to work with uh, several times. Yeah, he's... He's brilliant. He's sound. He's so brilliant. And uh, yeah, yeah, Rufus nice. Norris, you know, I've worked with. I know he's this, you know, he's a big deal now. He runs the national, but I, I, you know, I've known him for so long that he's a far, you know, he's a very accessible, like warm kind of guy to me. So the stage is set for, for and Polly Finley, who I didn't know, is directing it. Uh, I've met her once now, and she's gorgeous and obviously brilliant. So the stage is set for me to feel quite uh, secure. And, and apart from anything else, Craig, the content is weird. You know, it's like a beautiful, brilliant, brilliant play about a married couple who've been married for like 16 years. And they just, you know, they've come to a point of crisis and they're just chewing over where they're at, what they want, what they haven't told each other what they want. And, you know, I'm very happily married, but so much of it is like... Well, no, no acting required. I, you know, I felt this last Wednesday, or I know mm. he's felt that, and I know Dan feels the same. So it's a real, uh, honest, um, like truthful insight into into the rub of what being married is. So I don't feel daunted by having, you know, having to stretch my imagination. But I, I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but I feel no, I'm it up doesn't for sound it. arrogant at yeah, all. Well, it's exactly what you were talking about, um, about taking memories from a set on film, because you're just, you're taking memories from, from real life and putting them into the play because you know you can, you can, you can process yeah. that and you can fly it out there. Um, but what lovely parallels between Ali and Ava to this, to two very, very different couples. Yeah. One, one right at the start <laughs> of a relationship... Funny. And then one who've been in the same relationship for X amount yeah, of years. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And also just unexpected representation of seeing, like, again, people we don't usually see in this context. Like, you know, I play a lot of 
you know, domestic women my age, like 50, but they're often, you know, sad mums or supportive sisters. But to see, uh, you know, Ali and Ava in the context we talked about and then this play, I know there'll be people watching, uh, hungry to, you know, hopefully drinking in the the parallels with what they feel. And um, there's a million stories which quite rightly are being, you know, created now in the face of long overdue, you know, increased diversity. So, you, you know, I'm aware I'm speaking from a sort of position of privilege, but it excites me, you know, in my own way to see, you know, middle-aged women um, who aren't, oh, yeah. you know, uh, face-tucked face and uh, skinny and, you know, just uh, telling stories about, you know, normal people and hopefully normal people will go and see it and enjoy it. Yeah. I know, but and there'll be people in the audience go, nudging the other person, going, "That's you." That that's exactly. I mean, they won't be northern. They don't allow northern people into the audience of the national. You, you manage no, to sneak in. Like, do sure. you do? Do you do one of your I, voices? I, I, I do one. I do one of my many many voices. <laughs> and I always grow a beard a few weeks before and just stick hat on, so they don't know it's me. Um, and obviously, this is no accident because Eldridge's last play was about. Uh, certainly, the the man was divorced, and it was the it was the night of the start of a relationship. And I think it was called beginning. Did yeah, you see I that? didn't see it. No, oh, you didn't I'm, see it, I'm which was brilliant. And theater, but it was brilliant. Well, so so am I. And I've said this before in the past, but so many times I do go to the theater, and I'm really disappointed. Mm-hmm. You know, so will you do me one favor and not let me down when I come and see this? <laughs> You'll be like, you said you knew what you were doing, you said you identified no. with it. What's going on, Claire? If if I say to you at the end, n- I mean, I really love what they did with the design, <laughs> then you know that you know that I left at half time and just stayed in the bar and didn't come back. You've, for the you've rung and texted me enough times when you've left stuff at the interval to, for me not <laughs> to be surprised. <laughs> but I read um, Miriam Margulies, who I just uh, like, I'm in love with actually at the minute. She mm. she recounted a story where she'd heard that the perfect thing to say at the end of a show when you think someone, you know, it's been rubbish is you just say to your actor friend, look at you. (laughs) (laughs) They can't come back from that. Oh, there's Craig. Claire, look at you. (laughs) It's far too theatrical for me, but I'll give it a go. You could pull that off, Craig. I'll tell you, I'll do do it to Dan Ryan (laughs) to eat. And see yeah. how he feels. See if he, see if he, I'll see if he's listened to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you with downtime when there's no scripts in the inbox and there's no phone calls? I mean, do you tend to find other creative outlets or do you have enough going on with, you know, raising kids, being a, a wife and a mother? Yeah. Or do you think, do you need it? Do you worry about... Other jobs coming in. No, I worry about I worry about when the kids are older. I think I think you know one of the happy byproducts among the many glorious things about having kids is that you are just kept busy and you have a sense of you know worth and being needed. Uh, you know, and obviously relationship too. So I think uh, what I worry about is when you know when they're old and gone. And I know I'll just be like, it won't be an empty nest syndrome. I don't think it'll be fuck what you know what do I do now like when I'm not working but I'm hoping to just mm. be trawling around provincial <laughs> theatres from, from <laughs> to a ripe old age um, 
You won't be going around. Yeah. You'll, you'll be doing much more than that. Claire Osbrook, it's no surprise that I love you very much. And I'm so chuffed that you came on and had a chat with me. And I just want to reiterate how proud I am of you of this extraordinary performance in this film. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't wait to see you in real life and we can have a proper chat. And Thank cuddle. you so much, Craig. That means a lot. You know, it does. I'll see you soon. Okay, love you. Bye, bye, bye. And another episode is done. How brilliant. She's so wise and insightful and lovely and brilliant. Um, And Ali and Ava is out now at your local cinema. Go see it. Send me a message after it on social media or an email. Let me know what you think and if it's enriched your life, which I guarantee it will do. Um, So we're slowly, the train is slowly pulling in to the station at the end of the season because we're doing 20 episodes as well, you know. Um, And then we're going to have a little break and then we're going to come back for another batch, a new season and another batch of 20 episodes. I've already lined up some fantastic guests and uh, we're going to be out. And also, if you haven't heard, speaking of being out, we're going to be out, out. We're going to be live at Latitude Festival this July. So come along and say hello. I think I know who the guests, guests are going to be. Um, and they're on the lineup of Latitude. They are a band. I'm going to try and get them to do some, well, at least one acoustic track in the podcast tent with us all. So come along, say hello, and um, we can all sit down and have a good old natter. So until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Have a lovely weekend. See you next week. Bye-bye. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com